Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. Great. All right, we've been going over the five spheres of church, and I might have forgotten to tell the graphics team to have the graphic up. So if you all have that graphic, you all can pull it up. Uh, we've been talking about the five spheres of church. I'm going to go briefly over that, and then today we're going to focus on sphere two. Great. So this is the five spheres that starts with your relationship with Jesus. And Steve talked about that two weeks ago, and then Ben last week with little practicals and the why behind it. The second, which is today, is talking about D groups, discipleship groups, small groups, and you'll hear a word band meetings, and I'll talk about that today. And then life group, gathered meeting, and the church on mission. And if you look at the life of Jesus, you see him live out all these things as well. He woke up early in the morning to spend time with the Father. He had his closest group of three that he spent a lot of time with. Then he had his quote-unquote life group that he was uh, the leader for, in case you were wondering, and there's of 12. But then he had this other larger group of 70 to, by the end of his ministry, about 120, that were with him wherever he was going. And then he was also always on mission, that he was sent to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted. And so Jesus lived these out, and it's pretty good, it's a pretty good idea to follow Jesus' Jesus's example in our own life. And so today we're going to dive in deeper into what is what is a discipleship group? What's the purpose of them and why? And my, I guess I, I might have led you astray. My focus isn't really discipleship groups. My focus is to stir your affection afresh for eternity and how that plays out through discipleship groups. But our affection and our attention is on Jesus and the fact that we will rise again from the dead. We will be with him in his eternal kingdom forever. And he's going to give us a reward for how we lived on the earth. And then we have an eternity to spend with him, and it's going to be fantastic. Quick little side, um, I enjoy reading, and because of the twins, uh, I've enjoyed listening to audiobooks. And there are a few times where books really change my perspective on life, where I listen to it or I read it, and I, I think fundamentally I'm going, to be, I'm going to think differently now for the rest of my life. And I'm finishing Heaven by Randy Alcorn, and it is blowing my mind. I feel like I need to repent for how little I've thought about heaven and imagined what heaven, the new heavens and new earth would be like. Um, so I would encourage everyone to read that or listen to it. I found it really encouraging um, and really challenging. And this is some of the encouragement from that book uh, has inspired a lot of this sermon as well. All right, so I have a quote from C.S. Lewis to give it an overview of what we're going to talk about. So this is C.S. Lewis says, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death, and I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. It's so easy as we go through life to let the true object of what we want and desire to become for us to become distracted or to get snowed upon, where it feels like it's hidden and cold and not a reality. And my prayer this morning is that there would be something freshly kindled in us for eternity and freshly kindled in us and walking that out in community. So I'm going to read a passage of scripture and then we are going to um, pause and pray. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 9 through 11. I think we'll have it on the screen as well. So whether we are at home or away, 
we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Whether at home or away in the body, it needs to be our aim to please him because each one of us will stand before Jesus, will stand before his throne, and we are going to be judged for how we lived in the body, what we did, what our actions, what our thoughts, everything will be exposed and revealed before him, and he's going to give us rewards for how we lived. So it's important that we have that our mindset fixed on eternity so we know how to live today presently, that we can think of that day when we stand before Jesus with our life exposed before him, and we can hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. These are the rewards that you get for how you lived your earthly life. And when we know that, we can persuade others to live likewise. So I'm going to pray out of Philippians chapter 1, 9 through 11. Uh, when you don't know how to pray, when I don't know how to pray, I love praying scripture, especially ways that uh, people have prayed in scripture. Um, so y'all can bow your heads with me. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through him, to the glory and praise of God. Jesus, I ask that you would fill us with your love, and you fill us with knowledge and discernment, understanding of your will and understanding of your word. I ask that you stir our affections for you and for heaven. Would you pour out your spirit upon us afresh, that we would have a deep knowledge of you, knowing you, knowing your character, your joy, knowing your death and resurrection, and that we'd be filled with your spirit, filled with your righteousness. And I ask that that result in praise and honor to you. And Jesus, would you expose in our hearts any place where we have deviated from loving you and from following you, from our affections being set upon you, would you expose in our hearts where our love has grown cold, where we have become apathetic? Would you lead us in, to lead us in repentance? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So when I was a freshman in college, I just started following Jesus. I had a background in growing up in the church. I went to church every Sunday, went to private Christian school, memorized scripture, learned about the Bible. Uh, it was a Baptist church slash school, so you know, we always had an opportunity to receive Jesus at the end. So I probably received Jesus like 700 times uh, after every sermon and still didn't know how to follow Jesus. Uh, but I went to college and it became real for me. And that, I'll go longer my testimony another time if you want to hear it. Uh, but something that really marked me in college in learning how to follow Jesus, when I became wholehearted and said, yes, I'm in, I'm going to follow you with everything I have, was seeing other people and how they lived. Learning from others how to be like him, learning from others how to read the word and obey the word. I learned how to pray from others. I learned how to worship from others. I learned how to share the gospel from others. I learned pretty much everything about my Christian life from somebody else. And that's true for really everyone, if you think about it. You're Practice and your theology isn't in, done in isolation. It's done in community. 
And I remember this one, that one day that really marked me. Uh, our freshman life group, I had grown close to a few friends, and we, I was at church, and they were talking about how at 6.30 a.m., they were helping set up church. And I remember feeling bummed. I was like, why didn't you invite me? I thought you were part of this community. Uh, so I joined this Sunday morning setup team, and it was ridiculous. We, it was a new church plant. They're about two years old, so they didn't have a lot of finances. And so we set up pipe and drape. And if you have never set up pipe and drape before, it is a pain. But when you do it when you have no money, you fill five-gallon buckets with concrete with a PVC pipe in the middle. And you have a you know, metal rod, and so you're carrying these, like, felt like 50-pound buckets, and you're like, trying to walk all the way and set up pipe and drape, and it, it was so painful. There usually like four people would show up, and so I remember I showed up one morning, and I knew nothing about sound or music or anything, and the worship leader was there. He's a father in our church, uh, and he showed up 6.30 on a Sunday to lead worship, to practice, and to help set up, and I remember the, I was pulling all things out, and he's like, hey, do you know where the sound guy is? I'm like, um, nope, I do not. Uh, I know where this 50 pound bucket is, but I don't know who the sound guy is. And he's, so we call him, and he wakes up. His alarm didn't go off. And I remember waiting. I was like, okay, this guy's woken up at 6.30 a.m. He's leading worship, and he needs everything set up to even practice. He's probably going to blow up. And I remember just watching him on the phone, and I was stunned at how much grace and kindness he poured out on him. He's like, no, it's fine. You're okay. Just get here when you can, and I'll help everyone set up. And then he looks at me, and he says, Chris, do you know how to set up sound? I was like, I don't. He goes, well, you're learning today. And so he, like, stopped. He set aside all that he was doing to show me how to set up sound, to do everything. And I saw someone who was planning on doing something. Their plans get set aside temporarily, but then not be moved out of a place of peace and grace. And that stunned me. That marked me. That was 12 years ago, and I still remember that. I remember like, I want to be like that guy. When something in my life disrupts me, that I don't get frustrated or angry or angry at someone, even when they make a mistake, that I am so gracious, that what happens is just an overflow of grace. And I remember those moments marking me. We're going to have, we're going to talk about serve teams later this month, and so if you're not on a serve team, that's my plug. Uh, I would encourage you to get involved in the serve team because you get to learn more. Yes, there's also an aspect of serving and not being seen. I guess I lost my heavenly rewards for talking about what I was doing on Sunday morning at 6.30 a.m., so Jesus, forgive me. Uh, I like those still. And I also, so there's an aspect of serving that shapes you. There's also an aspect of being with other people in the community and seeing how they live and getting to learn from them. And that was my taste of discipleship of being close with people and seeing how they lived and saying, yes, no, no, no. I think that's how Jesus is like, and I want to imitate you in that way. I I think I saw a glimpse of who Jesus is, and I desire and want that. So we're going to talk about that this morning, about getting um, in small groups and what does it mean for us to imitate others as as we imitate Christ and confessing sin. It's going to be a lot of fun. So I have a few questions for you all to think about and reflect. And this might feel heavy, and the goal is that it does not feel heavy, that it feel empowering, and you feel stirred up to confess in, get involved in this small group, um, get in a discipleship group. So the first question, so it's lighthearted. I'm just letting you know where we're moving. Do you have any hidden or unconfessed sin, whether in thought or deed, in your life that you've never shared with anyone?
Do you have close, trusted brothers or sisters in your life who know your temptations, know the things that tempt you easily, and your weaknesses? Are you carrying any burdens of shame, guilt, or condemnation? So I'm going to talk about those in a second with uh, one particular discipleship group. And then the second is, do you know how you're being formed? So it says that we are all meant to be formed in the image of God, that we, he created us in his image, and as we grow and walk with Jesus, that we are being formed to look like him. But we also can be formed in a myriad of different ways. The question isn't what, if, if, if you're going to be formed or not. The question is, who are you going to be formed into? Who are you going to become looking like over time? So how are you being formed in the image of Jesus? What are the processes that shape you, shape who you are, and what are the practices that you are doing right now in your life to become like him? And if you don't have answers for those, great. You won't at the end of the sermon. But if you get in a small group, you might be able to get some answers. Um, so my heart is, once again, stir your affections for getting in a small group, getting in a, um, a discipleship group, and to break off any place of condemnation, shame, any place where it feels like hidden and unconfessed sin is a stronghold, helping undermine any roots, any uh, lies of the enemy, any stronghold of the enemy, that you would feel joyous hope and expectation to confess sin. It's actually a really good and joyful thing. I was going to say this for the end, but I'm going to do it right now. Uh, If you all know Tracy Evans, she's a, a missionary, and she's part of our church and connected because of Steve and Brenda. And I remember one of the first times I heard her speak, she was teaching on loving Jesus, and she said, there are a few ways that you can only love Jesus this side of eternity, that you will not be able to love him when you die and rise again and you're with him. In the new heavens and new earth, there are some ways you will not be able to love Jesus. And I'm going to tell you a few. You will not be able to serve the poor because there won't be any, po- any poverty in heaven. You only can serve the poor this side of eternity. You only can love him in that way. You can only, uh, someone can confess sin to you and you forgive them and bless them and pray for them this side of eternity. There's going to be no sin. There's going to be no pain. There's going to be no mourning. You can only mourn with those who are mourning this side of eternity. And it's good for us to do that. And that is a way of us loving Jesus deeply. And there's a deep joy in confessing sin because you won't have the opportunity to confess hidden sin in heaven. There will be no sin, and it's already been exposed. You will have no opportunity to be a trust, trusted person where someone can confide to you the deepest, darkest secrets. Because it'll be exposed. And there'll be eternity. And there'll be no sin. It's going to be a really joyful time. It's, it's going to be awesome. The, the, the best experiences you've ever had on earth are going to be the Look, pale in comparison to our eternity with him, the new heavens and new earth. And we have to have our mindset on eternity. But you have this life to confess sin, to be exposed, to lay your life out before others, to receive prayer for healing and forgiveness. And you have this life to be formed to, to the image of Jesus before you see him face to face. So this is a message about not wasting it because eternity matters. All right, so in the 1700s, I believe 1700s, uh, John Wesley was an Anglican minister. He was actually a failed missionary. He went to America, had a rough time, didn't do well, came back to England. He, had, he got saved kind of maybe second salvation, 
we're not going to really talk about that, but uh, he was on the boat going overseas back to England, and a storm hit, and he saw people worshiping during a storm. He thought he was going to die. They're worshiping. He's like, I'm a missionary that just left talking about Jesus. I think I'm going to die, and I see people worshiping him and not being afraid. What do you have? Do you have something different? Uh, and they were the Moravians, they had a movement. So he gets this like second revival in his life, and he starts a movement uh, called the Methodist Movement. And something that they did is they had five spheres also. Kind of crazy. Uh, they had their encouragement of being time with Jesus. Their discipleship groups, they called band meetings. Their life groups, they called class meetings. Their Sunday mornings, they called society meetings. And then they sent people out to go preach the gospel. Pretty crazy. So what we're doing this is not new. Uh, but their most important things that they did were their band meetings. And this was a time that they set aside every single week with people of the same gender and the same stage of life, so single men, single men, married women, married women, to confess sin and to be open and vulnerable with each other. And he started this because he saw a, a lack of depth of there's something missing when people are not confessing sin and being open and real with one another. You can receive teaching on Sunday morning and receive content. You can be in a life group and study the, study the scriptures and you can do all these things together but for that to go deep into who you are, you need to be around trusted brothers and sisters to be able to lay out your heart open before them to receive prayer, to receive forgiveness, to receive healing. That there is a disconnect between knowledge and practice when we don't have, when we lack confession of sin. So I'm going to give you the what and how of band meetings. Uh, this is out of a book called Marks of a Movement by Winfield Bevins that looks over the, uh, the Methodist movement. And we'll have, I think, slides for that. So it says, the, the design of our meeting is really simple. It's to obey the command of God. Confess your faults to one another and pray, to one, pray for one another that, you, that ye may be healed. Ye, King James, King Jimmy Version. So the purpose of the entire, this is the, this is the only focus. The entire time was to confess sin and pray for one another that you'd, be, you'd receive healing. It wasn't for counseling. It wasn't to discuss and talk about why that was sin, X, Y, and Z. All it was was to confess sin and to be exposed. And then in being exposed, everyone in the, in the group saying, you're forgiven. And then never bring up that sin again. So we're going to go through a little, this is the structure. So to this end, we intend, the first thing is to meet once a week at, at the least to come punctually at the hour appointed without some extraordinary reason for the people that arrive late to things, myself included. To begin with those who are present exactly at the hour of singing or prayer. To speak each of us in order, freely and plainly, the true state of our souls with the faults we have committed in thought, word, or deed and the temptations we have felt since our last meeting. To end every meeting with prayer suited to the state of each person and then this is this last part. Oof, this got me. To desire some person among us to speak his own state first. So he's saying that you would let everyone know the state of your soul, everything that you've done, sin, thoughts, temptations, everything. And then to ask the rest in order, as many and as searching questions as may be concerning their state, sins, and temptations. So you sit there as your brothers or your sisters ask questions to get deep into your heart 
and you just keep responding. Now that might seem pretty intense. You might not have ever done that before. And the focus of these meetings wasn't to be legalistic. And this is our focus in discipleship groups when we do when we confess sin. The goal isn't legalism, and the goal isn't shame. The goal isn't to make people feel uncomfortable. Our goal is fellowship with each other, intimacy with Jesus, and mindset on eternity. And so if you don't want to answer a question, you don't have to. It's okay. There's permission and freedom. Because the goal isn't to force confession out of people. It's to draw people into deeper intimacy with Jesus. And 1 John says that our fellowship is with him and with each other. But if we walk in darkness and we have unconfessed sin, we can't be in the light. and We don't have fellowship with him or with each other. But when we confess our sin to one another, pray for one another, that we have deeper fellowship and intimacy with Jesus and with others. If, you have a, if, you, if there is a struggle in your life to have connection and relationship with Jesus or with community, I would ask you, are you confessing your sin to one another? And if you're not, it might be a good place to start. And a, another good place to start is finding people that you trust and that you, that you, that you know they care for you. And that our heart as a church is to create space for people to feel deeply loved and cared for where they can confess the contents of their heart without being judged. So I'm going to give you some rules for um, these band meetings. One, they never brought up sin again after you confessed it. Two, you could say no. If there's anything going on, you could say, nope, I, I choose not to share. I prefer to keep that secret. And that's okay. Um, the next thing is you're not counseling anyone. You're not telling them why that was sin or how to get free. Or, that's not the purpose of the time. The whole purpose of that time is for someone to confess sin and say, you are forgiven, and then pray for one another, just as the scriptures say. So there's permission to be free. It's permission. And there's an invitation from Jesus to be free when you confess your sins. Because hidden sin that remains unconfessed will be a stronghold of the enemy and will cut out the life of God from you. You will not experience the fullness of the life of Jesus with unconfessed sin. But he invites us into deeper fellowship with him. He invites us into deeper levels of freedom that we haven't experienced before. He invites us into deep joy when we confess our sins. It is so good. And I remember... You can ask anyone with the first time they started confessing all the contents of their heart. It is very uncomfortable. And I remember, I think what it felt like for me was a garden, and if you were just tilling and just pulling up everything. I felt like just roots were being yanked out of my heart. But as that happened, I felt lighter and more free. And then I found I actually could start living more free and lighter. And I found that I actually had greater trust in brothers and sisters. Well, brothers, I didn't confess my sin to sisters. <laughs> greater, greater intimacy and friendship with, with brothers uh, because I felt, I felt like I wasn't judged for what sin or thought or anything I had that could have been sin, confessing it and receiving prayer. The, the closest friends I have in my life over the past 12 years of following Jesus are the ones that I did confess sin to and that knew what was going on in my heart and my mind, that knew my sin struggles even when I was confessing it for the 10th or 100th time. And I remember, I remember seeing people who were so afraid of confessing sin, and as they confessed them and as brothers didn't judge them, their mindset didn't change about who they are, that that became so freeing. Because a lie of the enemy, a lie of the enemy and a lie that sin will, will warp in you is that if someone really knew, they would think differently of me. 
if they really, really, no, if they, they actually knew what was in my heart and what was on my mind and what I've done, they would think differently, differently of me and reject me. And if they do, they need to repent because that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus knew the con- knows the contents of our heart. He knows everything that you've done, every thought, everything that is offensive to him. He knows deeply and intimately. He, is, he has no illusions over who you are. And yet that has not wavered, he has not wavered in his affection for you in spite of those things. In knowing every aspect of your being that is twisted and against him. In knowing everything about you that you'd rather choose over Jesus, he knows that and he still deeply loves you. And today, this morning when you woke up, his mercies for you were, were fresh and new that his love continued towards you, that he pours out his grace upon you without measure over and over and over again. Romans 5 says that when, as sin increased because of the law, as sin increases, his grace abounds all the more. His grace abounds and abounds and abounds and abounds. And he looks at you and his heart yearns with affection for you in spite of everything you've done. And as the body of Christ being his body, being witnesses and present of, of who he is here and now on earth, we need to reflect that reality. When someone confesses sin, that we don't change our affection towards them. And when someone confesses sin, that we don't change our mindset of how we think about them. If you are shocked when someone confesses sin about what they confessed, Jesus wasn't. Jesus isn't. In order for us to be in that place, we need to be connected with him. Hence, I think it's sphere one. If you have a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus, and you're aware of his thoughts and affections for others, you're in a position to also forgive and bless others and not hold anything against them. All right, the next aspect of a discipleship group. So part of that, the main focus of there was confession of sin and receiving healing. But that's only one aspect of being a part of a discipleship group. There's another aspect of us learning in the, the different gaps in our life of how are we being formed. Because as a, as a community in Scripture, we're not called to be sin conscious, of just always trying to be aware of, like, is that sin? Is this sin? Like, wh- my mindset's only on not sinning. That's what, what Scripture says. What it says is to be conscious of Jesus, to have minds set on eternity, to look to Him that we are not just confessing our sin of what we've done, but we're looking to Jesus and stirring each other up in how to follow him wholeheartedly. So the next aspect of a discipleship group is helping us grow and learn in gaps that we have of our practices, of our theology, of missing knowledge. I, lo- I love what Abby shared of, I, she had a question. She didn't understand, never heard that before, and so she asked Ben, and they started having a conversation about what, what this is and looked in Scripture um, and get received more information on that. That's another aspect of discipleship, is that we lack information, lack knowledge, lack practice, so we learn from one another. So I, I, have, two thought, I have two questions for you for that. What in your life can you say to someone else, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Paul said it, and every single one of you in, your, in this room, if you're following Jesus, you can say that. There's something in your life, if you have followed Jesus in some way, where you can tell someone, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And if you don't feel that way, you need to confess that, because that's shame. And that's not from him. And the second thing I'd ask is, what in your life do you not want other people to imitate? 
And you should also confess that to trusted brothers and sisters and have practices in your life to live differently. So I gave you information on the band meeting, a little bit on, on that second aspect of discipleship group. And my favorite time, we're going to get to some scripture. So you can turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to tie those two together with this section of scripture. We're going to start in verse 2 and go through verse 15. And I'm going to move slowly. 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 through 15. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's, that's already good news. <laughs> May the grace and peace of God be multiplied to you. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with, with love. For if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. He's, having, he's forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you've practiced these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it's right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort, so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. talking to the front end about confession of sin, but the reason why that's important is because there's so much freedom in life in Jesus and what he's offered to us. So we're going to do a quick little study over 2 Peter 1. His divine power, starting verse 3, his divine power, the word for power in the Greek means ability to do, so he has given you the ability, he has granted to you everything that you need for life and godliness. I think everything is covered in that. All that you need, he's already given to you. And this is in the knowledge of him. When scripture says the knowledge of him, that means do you know him? Do you have fellowship and relationship with him? In philosophy, there's two forms of knowledge. There's knowledge uh, about something and knowledge of something. Knowledge about something means you have information like a textbook. Knowledge of something means you have relationship with that information. It's not just cognitive. It's not just an idea that's ethereal. It's something that's part of who you are. Do you have a, an abiding, deep knowledge of who Jesus is? Do you have fellowship with him? Because in fellowship with him, in the knowledge of him, 
He has given, his power has given to you everything that you need. You don't, you do not have any lack. And he has called you to his own glory and excellence. He's granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through these promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. His promises are that he is your God, he's your king, and he's giving you his spirit that you would walk with him and be with him. And in him, in believing that he has died and rose again, that he is alive and ruling and reigning in heaven, in believing the gospel, in him giving you his spirit and causing you to come alive, your nature is no longer fundamentally a sin nature. It's a divine nature. (coughs) So when we confess sin... Part of our confession isn't just, these are the bad things that I'm done. It's brothers and sisters calling out saying, that's not ultimately who you are. I'm calling out who you truly are now. Who you truly are is someone who has a divine nature, whose desire and weight and gravity isn't moving towards sin. It's moving towards Jesus and eternity. That something in you, because he has regenerated you and made you whole and alive, because the spirit of God inside of you You're a new creation, and what you long for is your home, to be with him. You long for Jesus. You shouldn't stop sinning because it's bad, or it's wrong, it's causing death. Those are good reasons, but it's just not who you are. That's not how he made you to be. He made you to be with him and to have with your faith all these different qualities and characteristics that are his in the first place. He has made you to look like him and be formed in his image. That is way more important than just not sinning. You know, if like, here's like sin, you're in the negatives, here's like not sinning. But there's like infant space of looking like him that we're moving towards. That we're just continually, day by day, being renewed to look like Jesus. Because that's what the world's longing for and hoping for. Actually, that's what creation's longing for. Romans 8 says that creation groans. The earth is waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed because we are the ones that are meant to steward the earth. We're made in his image, and the earth is meant to be ours to steward. Sin corrupted that. Jesus redeemed that. So what are we supplementing? Okay, verse, verse 5. So for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. It doesn't say some. It makes, make every effort. Commit your life with a group of people around you to encourage you of how are you following Jesus with every effort? How are you, have you made every effort to supplement your faith with virtue or excellence, depending on translation? Virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. The greatest of those qualities is love. All those can be summarized in love. Don't have time to go into love today, but you should do that in a group going through scriptures about uh, all the multifaceted qualities and characteristics of the love of God and how we are meant to be formed into that image of love. All right, go to verse 8. If these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted, he's blind, has forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent 
So he says, make every effort and be all the more diligent. That there is a, a intensity and a focus on how you are living because you're being formed. You must well be formed in the image of Jesus. If, you, you know, if you're going to be formed one way or the other, you might as well be formed in the best way possible. All right, verse 11, we're shipped there. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. The purpose of having a small group where someone deeply knows your life is to stir one another up for eternity, to continually remind each other of how are you living and why. And if you don't have a why behind how you're living, you should get a why. It's pretty important to live well. To stir each other up to love and to good works. To stir each other up um, to pursue Jesus wholeheartedly. To not have any lack. And if we have gaps in our theology or understanding, in a group, pursuing that together in the Word. Um, theology, in general, is not, it's not done in isolation. You do not theologize your way to God. <laughs> It's through the Spirit of God and submission to the Spirit of God. Our work of knowing who God is, that's done through the Spirit of God in our life, us submitting to the Word of God in our life, and us submitting to the community of God. It's it's an aspect of humility of submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit, submitting ourselves to the Word of God, submitting ourselves to brothers and sisters. And this is what Jesus invites us into in having a small group. All right, Ben, y'all can come up. It's a sobering but also a joyful reality that Jesus, that we will have to stand before him and give account for everything that we did on earth. In the Gospels, Jesus says that there won't be a careless word, a thoughtless word that we won't give account for. Everything that we've said, everything that we've thought, everything that we've done, we're going to give an account to him. But there's really good news that that day, his desire isn't to condemn you or to shame you. His desire is to reward you for how you lived. He desires and he longs that that day, it'd be richly provided for you in that kingdom. That that day when you walk through those gates, there'd be a deep celebration. There'd be great joy. And that when he, you stand before him, that he says, well done, good and faithful servant. This is what I'm giving to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sticking with that person that was really difficult and you didn't get anything out of that relationship, but you served and loved them. Thank you for changing diapers and being up every two hours with newborns and loving my precious, precious creation. Thank you. Thank you for exposing what was in your heart and submitting yourself to community and confessing sin. Gosh, there's... There's joy in heaven whenever someone confesses and repents. That's the the attitude of our Heavenly Father. That there's joy. There's deep joy. He is so delighted to see His children learn how to walk in freedom and wholeness. And He longs. He longs to reward you. And He longs that your mind and that your life now would would be influenced by His eternal kingdom. There'll be a new heaven and new earth that we get to rule and reign with him, be with him for eternity. So don't waste this life now. There's no reason to hold anything back. 
Make every effort. Confess every sin. Keep nothing hidden. Allow someone to speak into your life and challenge you in every single way. Pursue him wholeheartedly and don't hold back. He's worth giving everything to. It's because Jesus made us his own through his blood.